You see that right there? Hmm? That's Wednesday. You know what that means? Well, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. But for us, it means it's time for a priority Q&A episode here on the Bumblecast. I am your Wednesday master of ceremonies, Ian Flynn, the Bumble King. And joining me as always in the center first and third ring is Kyle J.C.R.B. Krause. Wednesday. That's what it is. In case you didn't get it. The whole, the whole thing is that it's Wednesday. It's it's Wednesday. Yes. That's a, that's it. That's all I got. It's Wednesday. Yep. yep. So we got our priority Q&A questions coming in from our sponsors over at patreon.com slash bumblecast, ko-fi.com slash bumblecast, and our YouTube members. Yes. It is Wednesday, my dudes. We're going to get started off with this one here from Mobius. Picking up back up in the M's. The whole world has a grudge against Sonic for what happened with Mr. Tinker and the trauma of the metal virus pandemic. How would Sonic feel about the whole world hating him after all he's done? He's not going to be plussed about it, but it's not going to bother him either. He lives for the moment. He lives for himself. He lives for adventure and the freedom of travel. So if he has no port to call home, then he'll just keep traveling. It's all good to him, man. He just keeps going. The whole world became his enemy. He'd just keep going. Many Hats has a question. As a professional writer, what are your thoughts on AI in the future of the entertainment industry? With how advanced AI like Dolly 2 is coming, I'm a bit worried that what that could mean for actual human writers and artists in 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let's look at the positive first, because I have this bad habit of giving things the benefit of the doubt. Uh, this could be a boon for small time creators. Mm-hmm. Um, getting projects off the ground is, it costs a lot of money. Like the only reason Drogoon and, uh, Claus McGee are even out there is by the extreme generosity of Adam Bryce Thomas and Jonathan Griffiths. Um, they have not been compensated for the amount of work and talent that they put into those projects. I'm working on that. You know, we were all clear during production about what was promised to whom and where and when and what, but I still feel like they are owed greatly. Um, and that's coming from me who has fairly steady freelance stuff coming in. You know, anyone else who's working your normal nine to five and is trying to realize their own and creative endeavors. I know your struggle. I appreciate, you know, what you're doing and you continuing to commit to your vision. And I realize that's very hard. If AI reaches a point where it can be reliable in its output and can be customized to the person's vision, if you drop, I don't know, two to five grand on that kind of AI program, sure, that's a lot up front but that will save you tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in the long run. Case in point, I can't draw. I have to rely on talented people to see my vision through. Those people need to be fairly compensated. If I had some kind of AI program to realize it, I could utilize that and, you know, streamline production. I don't really want to do that because I know a slew of extremely talented people and prefer to work with them. But I'm just saying that option would be there. Uh, there are some indie creators that I have worked with who, you know, their projects are very slowly coming together because they have to scrimp and save to get things done. 
if they had that AI material or asset to utilize, they could probably see their visions realized a lot sooner and for far cheaper. Like you, it's kind of like how, uh, with unreal engine and so many, uh, various game engines and art programs and music composing programs and such out there that the ability to create art is infinitely more accessible to the general public than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. More. I mean, even 20 years ago, it's more way more accessible. So I see a art driven AI or AI driven art, art tools built on AI as the next step in that process, opening the doors for more people to realize grander visions. Yes. That being said, I understand that that's the rosiest interpretation you can get out of it. But here's the thing. We've gone through so many different, uh, technologies that were seen as doom and gloom for creativity and stuff like that and it's ultimately hasn't really panned out that way like in certain ways it has been a negative thing like look at the way nfts have been abused Mm. constantly in very unintentional ways but at the same time there's just there are so many technologies that have been very useful tools that have there's been a lot of discourse about whether they're bad or good and that's a good discourse to have absolutely sure and um it's a good it's a good discussion to be like okay this is we need to uh we need to really think through this but at the same time you know it isn't just a tool it all depends on how you use it really so it also feeds into the larger discussion of ai and automated services consuming more and more of the workspace they are now implementing self-driving transit trucks well there goes the trucking industry a great deal of agriculture is automated now a lot of the service sector jobs are going automated and the creative stuff is looking kind of dicey now too because sure what dolly 2 produces now is not enough to replace anyone yet but look how far it's come and how quickly i think it's naive to say oh ai could never produce what the human mind could because that and stuff like ai dungeon and its variations those are all getting eerily close eerily fast because ai learns way way faster than we do uh maybe ai really isn't all that smart though you know, AI is only as smart as what you feed it as far as examples. So Yeah, but it also can learn from its own mistakes and it doesn't have to be super smart. It just has to trick most people. Yeah, that's true. And that lowers the bar a fair bit. <laughs> yeah, but we are from truly in- intelligent sentient AI, we're we are ages away from that. Well, yeah, I'm not so, talking about that. I know, I'm talking I know. about stuff that can produce. Like we've already had chatbots that can fool individuals. Granted, it's within the context of presenting it as someone as ESL, but it's still convincing enough of the engagement that the average person thought they were talking to 
another person. Right, right. And I mean, we even have... That was years ago. We're we're growing, so... Yeah, we even have AI voices now that are nearly indistinguishable in a lot of ways from mm-hmm. actual mm-hmm. human speech. Maybe we're AI so, right now, and you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the episode switches over to Metal Ian and Metal Kyle. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have an answer or any particularly bright insights into it it's fascinating to me but it is going to be a question that has to be addressed in the near future because the current socio-economical constructs that our civilization is built on relies a lot on human endeavor and if we are taken out of the equation you're uprooting the entire base level of that pyramid yeah thankfully so many of these new frontiers in ai and stuff are open source so they're free to use not not entirely free to use but they're the barrier to entry is very low on them so it's um luckily that i think the commodification of the internet has helped with you know getting these uh things out to more people and out to the world where they can use them, utilize them outside of, you know, just the big corporations, thankfully. So, but of course there's also so many companies that are just hoarding and holding on to their own automation things and they are not, not willing to share them, which I mean, on the one hand I get it. They got to make money somehow, but it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So uh, automation is a humanity is always kind of, I guess, butted up against like as more and more things became more and more automated. Like look at the industrial revolution. Like before that, there were so many things that you had to do just by hand and it, it took away the industrial revolution took away at least a lot of the required manual labor of creating things, of building things, whether that's good or bad. I mean, we're in this current state now because of it of at least a big part of modern society is due to the industrial revolution so it just it could go any any way and i hope that it's used effectively and i hope that it's used in a way that is not uh you know going to destroy us all eventually (laughs) or leave us with nothing so uh Maybe that's too much to hope for. I don't know. We'll see. Here's a question from King Toasty. We don't really get to see much of the chaotix in the games, and when we do, it's usually Vector who is appearing solo. This has me wondering, how do you think SBO feels about major cast members like Tails, Knuckles, Amy, or Shadow? Outside of being a ninja with a sense of justice, we don't really get to see much of his personality and chemistry with others. Yeah, we really don't. Um, And the thing with SBO too is it's kind of hard to find the right read on him because there's a lot of stuff about him that codes him as a bit of a faker, a bit of a cosplayer. He (laughs) is trying real hard to be a ninja and takes himself too seriously, but he also can kind of back it up. So it's hard to say. I know he's generally treated more like a gag character, but he's also really cool. So I don't want to put that much of a, goofy spin on him i don't know that's a whole other kettle of fish uh in terms of how he looks at everybody else 
I imagine there's a degree of respect. Like he sees what others have done up to this point across the world and maybe flanderizes them slightly in his mind. You know, Tails certainly is capable and intelligent, but maybe he thinks Tails is a little smarter than he actually is. You know, Amy is certainly powerful, but maybe he thinks that hammer can do a little bit more than she can really throw behind it. Now, Knuckles is certainly a capable warrior, but maybe he's thinking he's, you know, able to topple 50 men without breaking a sweat. <laughs> and Shadow, well, you know, there's so many mis- mysteries about Shadow. Mm-hmm. His dark past, his incredible feats. Truly, he's a man of legend. <laughs> No, he's just a goofy hedgehog. Just like the other goofy hedgehogs. They're all goofy. <laughs> King Toasty has a question for you, Kyle. Uh-oh. Favorite racing game OST? I'm a huge fan of Ridge Racer Type 4s, personally. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. I understand. I, I I get it. I see you. Ridge Racer Type 4. Amazing soundtrack. Absolutely. But no, my favorite is uh, Wave Race 64. Just in terms of overall quality and overall just just uh, just how much I love it, yeah, it's fantastic. It's uh, by Kazumi Totaka, so same composer as uh, Mario Paint, Animal Crossing. Um, what's the other one he's known for? Uh, Wii Sports. And uh, yeah, it's one of the only soundtracks, though, he's ever done that doesn't have his uh, Totaka song on it. It's like, what? Where, where'd it go? Why is it not here? It's not there. There's not, it's not in there. So maybe, maybe okay. the jet skis, if you listen just right, <laughs> the way that the water splashes. Maybe. Maybe you hear that little doot, 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 doot. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not in there. No one's found it yet, at least. But uh, yeah, I, I love the Wave Race 64 soundtrack. Just every song is a. Fantastic, fantastic track. Um, it's got those jazz fusion sensibilities that I love. So you know, it's like a, it's like a good old T Square Cassiopeia album, lost album, lost to time, recovered by uh, Zumi Totaka. It's fantastic. I love it. Here's a question from Jolene B. Did you ever have plans to incorporate Shade and the Nocturnus Clan into pre-boot Archie beyond their encyclopedia entry and backup strip? Or did their similarity to the Dark Legion make that a non-starter? I want to say the general thought was to make them an offshoot of the Dark Legion, like a a splinter group that like X was uh, someone who didn't like how Craig Ock was running things, so decided to make his own group and name himself his own Grandmaster or something like that. Uh, at least that's how I would approach it these days. But I don't know if we ever like put any hard ideas down Hmm. all right here's a question from happy times if you had gotten to write a comic for the Mega Man x series how would you address the lack of female characters in the cast would iris be more prevalent earlier on before her death in x4 followed by alia palette and layer sometimes being on the field like how they were unlockable unlockable characters in x8 or would there be more original female maverick hunters introduced to the cast similar to quake woman being introduced in the archie series yeah, we would have certainly seen more female hunters because what I would have liked to have done with the X book is establish the hunters and the world more before Sigma's takeover so that Sigma's betrayal felt like something. 
like the video game is fine. It's the first in the series. You need to start a, an action beat, but for the comic that's building off of years of lore, I feel like we would have had the opportunity to have a slower build and, you know, give you a world that you understand why X wants to protect it and why Sigma's conquest was so horrifying. And to that end, you know, more hunters, more navigators, more structure to the system before Sigma tears it all down. Uh, would have liked to have seen Iris, you know, well before X to establish, you know, her in zero. I'd have to look at extreme two. Extreme two is, yeah, she's, yeah. In, I think she's the navigator in that game. And yes, and that's supposed to take place before X4. So, right. I, is that the first time she and zero meet? I can't remember. I think it is. I think maybe. Lee says from the background that it's the first time they worked together, but they knew each other before that. So, okay. Yeah, definitely build that up more so that the inevitable death in the X4 storyline would hurt especially bad. What am I fighting for? Oh, wait. Exactly. (laughs) You understand what he's fighting for. (laughs) Uh, You know, make the whole division of Repla Force feel like more of a big thing. You understand it now. It's not just, here's the thing we've never heard of before because we need an antagonistic force in the game. Yeah, that's one thing about Repla Force is they just kind of come out of nowhere. And then yeah. they're only there for the one game and then it's it's, it's gone and kind of yeah, like, it's like Do X and Zero destroy all of Repla Force in this thing? Nah. So take all the scattered stuff of X and mm-hmm. just build on it. And like, I wanted Green Biker Dude to be somebody well before x2 you know but (laughs) also i'd like to see more of the animal styled reploids do things and not just be evil you know yeah there's a there's a lot of those that they're always only maverick bosses they're never really on the good side like there was like one dude in command mission yeah that's it pretty much and definitely, definitely not try to explain like, oh, the animal reploids are more prone to going maverick because it's like, yes, let's imply some kind of eugenics or intrinsic racism within the robots. Sure, that'll go over real well. Nobody will draw horrible parallels with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, don't do that. No, 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 no. no. just be. I don't know how we would tackle it, but we would not do that. Love of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that's a thing. Don't, yeah, don't do that. No, I don't know. That and in some cases lean in a little heavier on the fact that some of them weren't infected or you know, yeah. evil. They were just forced into bad circumstances like Storm Eagle. Right. He yeah. didn't so much go maverick as he was just put in a no-win situation. I think there, a, there's some tragedy to be had there. Absolutely. I think most of the X1 Mavericks weren't truly maverick. They weren't infected. I, remember, like, I know Chill Penguin and Flame Mammoth were both just jerks. Well, yeah, but they were before they went maverick. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's I can't remember either, but yeah. Storm Eagle is so cool though, you know. <laughs> he's he's such a badass. I don't know. There's something about him. <laughs> Here's a question from a finest cacophony. 
who's the better relationship? Vanilla and Cream's unnamed father from the unnamed region of Earth they come from? Or Charlie and his unnamed wife from the unnamed village in Sonic Boom? I understand this is a hard-dating question, so feel free to accompany it with any unnamed brand of unnamed hard beverage of your choice. Hold on, I need to look up who Charlie was. <laughs> Actually, I do too, because I have no idea. Charlie is the is an antagonist that appears in the Sonic Boom series. He is an anthropomorphic desert rat. Oh, yeah, he's the guy with the mech. Belinda's husband and an enemy of Knuckles, the echidna, former archaeologist. Charlie turned to a life of villainy after Knuckles made him lose his job and ruined his life with his buffoonery. Yeah. What a deep and memorable character. Okay. <laughs> Obviously. Remember the guy with the mech? It's that guy. <laughs> Did, he joined the Thunderbolts, didn't he? I think so. Thunderbolt Society? Okay. I mean, every villain did eventually. Uh, the Sonic X of Sonic Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly Cream's dad because, you know, Cream and Vanilla are clearly living well. They weren't left destitute or in any kind of negative broken home scenario. And Cream is a happy, vivacious, friendly, polite girl. So, you know, wherever he is, his loss hasn't caused any lingering damage and his presence didn't cause any lingering damage. Meanwhile, Charlie became a villain, yeah. and so did his wife. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then they're like barely re- memorable. Sorry, I <laughs> couldn't remember them. <laughs> oh well. Here is a question from Exidel. When Scourge transforms into a super form, his clothes change along with him, and the whites of his eyes turn black. Could this be pegged down to the fact that superforms with the Anarchy Barrels are far more potent than those with Chaos Emeralds, and thus have far more physical changes that accompany them? If Sonic were to go super using them, would the whites of his eyes turn black and his red shoes turn gold as well? Or should we just chalk it up to an artistic decision on Tracy's part to make Super Scourge look even eviler? The honest answer is it was rule of cool. We went through a variety of color tests on you know what should super scourge look like and we had some where he turned gold we had some where the jacket turned white and the flames blue for a kind of you know white hot look uh we had versions with the dark and you know swapped them out and ultimately i think his take was the one that saw print because i mean look at it come on um i remember being like eh, the the clothing changing colors doesn't fit. And Paul Kaminsky's like, yeah, but look at it. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Sometimes rule of cool just has to win. Um, if you want like a in universe answer, you can say that the anarchy barrel transformation is slightly different in how it mutates whoever it affects or empowers or whatever word you want to use. So, sure, maybe Anarchy Barrel Supersonic would look a little different. Give him some Fleetway swirly eyes, why don't you? <laughs> but uh, there there wasn't really an in-universe answer for it. It's just, it looked sick. <laughs> Here's a question from Cosmic Cooking Hunter 77. What if Capcom had you guys work on a new Mega Man comic or game? What new Mega Man killer series robot would you make as that line needs more love? Plus, what would they be like? I 
I wouldn't necessarily want to add anything to the line. I would want to take what's established and explore it a bit more. You know, we had like, why, why does it need another member in a cast that's already in the hundreds? Right. Explore Quint, explore the other killers, you know, give them a little more extra depth, give them maybe a new gimmick to freshen them up a little bit. But I don't think we need a whole other Mega Man killer. Nah, that's just me, though. You got three. What do you need more for? It's too many. Too many. It doesn't need to be like we don't need any more. I mean, I think that's kind of what makes them and the Genesis unit kind of special is that it's you know not eight. It's just three. It's a much more concise group. Yeah. And then you can just have all three fight all three at the same time. You don't have to, uh, you know, spread them out. So I, I'm yeah, no, no need to uh, expand the Mega Man killers. They, they're kill. They're killer enough as it is. I mean, maybe formally induct Quint into them. Cause I don't think he was technically part of them. No, he's, there's only the three. Yeah. Yeah. But still, mm-hmm. you know, Make them his friends. Give make them a group. Give them you know some camaraderie. Yeah. You know, what is it like having a modified Mega Man leading a group of Mega Man killers? Mm-hmm. You know, would they rather kill Quint and keep Mega Man around by the end of it? You know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Quint looks a bit too much like the Mega Man from uh, Captain N. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Lean into that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Give yeah. him all of evil Proto Man's lines. Yeah. Have him call Rock Mega Dweeb. <laughs> Give him a malfunction so he kind of twitches and goes mega mega. Yep. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> oh, Quint. And our last question. Before our break is from Dove. I was wondering if Pumpkin Hill is pretty much 24-7 Halloween. Wait, does Sonic's World even have Halloween? Does Eggman hand out eggs? Is Eggman the Easter Bunny? I'm so lost. (laughs) I'm with you, Dove. I'm so lost, too. I don't know what's going on. No, I figure they have Halloween. There's been enough Halloween official art. They have Halloween and they have Decemberween, of course. (laughs) <laughs> god bad powered marshies no <laughs> all right i'm sorry i said that i regret i regret everything sonic bring me the chaos emeralds you like what you see i guarantee it <laughs> no no perfect marshy oh uh, no no, except yes. One by one, they all become a black mark on the floor. <laughs> Incredible. Anyway, to the actual question, uh, in Rail Canyon, you can see the jack-o'-lantern rock formations in the background. So I'm assuming that's all part of that region. So, and real Canyon isn't very Halloweeny. It's pretty bright and arid. So I think it's more like when the sun starts to set, then it gets a little spoopy, Mm. but in general, it's just like, Hey, look at them pumpkin rocks. Excuse me. Pumpkin Hills. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I've got the Ghiblis. <laughs> oh, man. Marshy does all of the Knuckles raps. <laughs> Acapella. No. Oh, God. Gonna back him up with my fist and it'll crackle. Gonna do that slide guitar. Let's take a dive in aquatic mine. Oh boy. Oh dear. Oh gosh. That's oh. enough of that. We're going to take a quick break while I purge my Marshyisms, and uh, we'll be back with more questions here on the Bumblecast. <laughs> Marshy's a, Marshy is a, a heckin' character. Frightening. Scary. That's what makes him great. Sack him to the heavens! Sack him to the heavens! Beautiful. Thank you, Dove, for this glorious question. You drowned. <laughs> Dub everything over with Marshy. <laughs> and he just narrates the whole game. <laughs> it all starts with this. A marshmallow containing the ultimate power. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Hey, it's not a speed. He's using those Balloweens to warp. Boogity boogity boo. <laughs> I'll get you. Ah! Uh, Alright. <laughs> Have we had enough? Oh, we've had plenty. We're back, and we've got a question from Chaos Sonic 1 for you, Kyle, and for Jin. What? what? Wow. Ah, wild Jin mm. appeared! <laughs> <laughs> you will know Jin from the live streams, as she is the one who works ever so hard behind the scenes to actually make the show work. Hello, hello. So, Chaos Sonic 1 asks, so, Jin, how did you and Kyle first meet? All right, well, so... Now I'm hearing myself pretty loud. First time doing this thing. Um, so I'll give you two answers to this kind of. First met, we met online only. Um, we were both on Overclocked Remix forums and a mutual friend of ours, he was like, hey, you should listen to this radio show, which was the Yellow Dart radio at the time, but has grown into what is now Nitro Game Injection. Um, and we just started talking from there. We probably knew each other for about a year or so, and when Kyle graduated high school, he, he asked for a present to come visit the ocean and California and yours truly right here, myself, and we met in person for the first time watching Shrek 2 with a bunch of friends and mutual internet friend folks, peoples. So that's the long, short story of how we first and second met. So in person and online. That's that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I have nothing to add. <laughs> I have nothing to add. So, yep, that was that. 
<laughs> right, at least not Shrek 3, as people are mentioning in the Discord, which I may or may not be reading at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. All right, I'm going to go away. You're good. Farewell, folks. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, priority. Priority questions, folks. Yes. Someone actually wanted to talk to me. That's weird. Uh. All right, I'm out. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jen. Yes, yes. I have no additional information. That is accurate as far as I know. <laughs> I would hope so, considering you're there for most of it. I don't know, though. You know, things sometimes, I don't know. Who knows what was happening? I wasn't there. <laughs> I was there. All right. Let's go ahead and get into our next question here from Celestial Sapien 73. In the September 9th, 2020 Bumblecast, you said Tails and Mina from Mobius X years later isn't canon and was never going to happen ever. So who does Archie Tails eventually end up with? All right, let's let's I haven't gone back and re-listened to that episode, so maybe I fumbled my words. It happens. But let, let's be clear. Within the context of that storyline, Mobius X years later, that was it was canon to that. I mean, obviously. We, we read it. It's there on the page. Went so far as to give them children's uh, with themed names and abilities and whatnot. So in that regard, it's canon. It didn't sit well with me or nigh upon anyone else in the fan base because it didn't make a ton of sense given they had like no interactions that I can immediately think of in the regular series. So in terms of what would be like the true canon future, I don't know because he's eight and he has a long life ahead of him. And because this is a perpetuated brand, he's never going to be older than that. And it's never going to go further than that. Um, there's a lot of ways you can go with it. And that's what fanfics for, you know, pair him up with just about whoever you want. Does he give up the hero life and pull a Gohan and settle down? Does he adopt Sonic's way of life and, constantly travels and doesn't have time to be with anybody else. Does he find a fellow adventurer who, you know, can meet his needs and is a good partner to him and together they go adventuring or whatnot. There's, there's a hundred ways it could go, but I don't know because we're never going to get there and that's okay because that's what the brand is. And that's what fandom is for. You can fill in that blank with whatever you want. All righty. And we got a question here from Batman69, lol. What would a Big the Cat and Whisper team up be like? Very taciturn. I feel like we've done this before, but I couldn't find it. But, uh, it doesn't sound familiar to me. Yeah, but I mean, Big is a good listener. He follows directions well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's not, And he's not terribly chatty either. No, no. He's, he's, and he would be good with one word responses. So yes. You know, Where do you want to go? that way okay yep mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's all the dialogue for like three issues <laughs> very very quiet <laughs> like if she tells him to take up a position but stay silent he'll do it yeah yeah i'd hope she wouldn't use him as a meat shield that's kind of meat kind of mean well <laughs> if it were anybody else sure but when he is a meat miracle I guess so. I guess so. It's not really like you're putting someone on the front lines that's expendable. I feel bad for whoever, whoever's trying to get past him. I guess that's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe they could pull Whisper, up. I caught a mortar shell. 
<laughs> it tickled. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm seeing a suggestion from the chat here. They use the fastball special. <laughs> Big throws whisper. <laughs> See, weird. that's what you think's going to happen. But she actually launches big somehow via the variable Wispon. Yeah. Causes guess... even more destruction. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, hmm. Either one. Why not? Why not both? <laughs> now, who cares about the rocket launcher? Big orange rocket! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Feeling dizzy. I... Walk it off. He'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Perfect. I love Is it. Is that an orbital strike? That was five feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I think this needs to happen, Ian. Annual 2023. Here we come. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question from Ava Arctic. Writing mysteries seems to feel like a planning a surprise party that can go wrong at any time. Any tips for anyone trying to write or common mistakes slash pitfalls to avoid? I don't feel like I'm good to advise on this because mysteries are not my forte. I am not clever enough to do a good mystery, I don't think. Well, you've done um, it before, haven't you? Uh, kind of. Yeah, kind of, but it wasn't that deep of a mystery. Well, it was like elementary entry level. I'm kind of riffing on X-Men mystery. It was there. I mean, I mean like a real mystery, like Agatha Christie type of mystery. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's the mystery Ava's referring to exactly. I think she just wanted to talk about mystery and mysteries in general, like not revealing a character or just teasing a character, but not actually revealing them before it's before they're ready or something like that. Well, in that regard, then I think the only advice that I can give, and this is, you know, casting a broad net, is you need to know everything going in. Like you, the thing with any kind of reveal is that it should be a mystery to the reader, but to nobody else in production. Your artist needs to know, assuming this is some kind of you know graphic literature, your artist needs to know what's going on so that they know what they're teasing visually. You know, they need to know what this character looks like or whatever circumstances surrounding them looks like so that they know what to hold back and what to present. Cause if you just say a shadowy figure, that means nothing, you know, are they humanoid? Are they tall? Are they short? Are they fat? Are they, what are they? Yeah. And, well, it's just, I think they're uh, kind of scared of, revealing too much or they make it too blatantly obvious like the artist knows that's a given but they are just i don't know they're it's a delicate balancing act it is and i'm not particularly good at it i don't think so it's trial and error and learning from it and here's the thing too is with mystery stuff you can't control your audience Right. So some folks, you're going to trickle out your little bit of detail and they're not going to pick up on it and they're going to be bamboozled 
by the reveal, and some of them will even claim that there was no setup for it, while others are going to get the tiniest crumb and are smart enough to deduce everything from there. <laughs> they get and, it immediately, yes. Yeah, they, they've solved it before you've even begun. And you're like, ah, oh, frig. So <laughs> at that point, you just got to stick to your guns. You know, tell the story as best you can. And <laughs> don't grind your teeth too hard when you're reading the online discourse where it's like, well, if they do this, this, and this, it all should fit together like this. It's like, shut up. <laughs> you're ruining it. <laughs> I mean, mysteries are puzzles whether they're like a full-on mystery story or something as simple as scooby-doo you are if the pieces all fit then yes those who are intuitive should be able to put it together and those of us like me who are not should be able to see how it fits together later mm -hmm. and go oh i see i see ah clever 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 <laughs> yeah yeah but then again, there's also some people who do get it immediately, but then to go get deny it because they're like, oh, surely it couldn't be that obvious. Meanwhile, it was that obvious the whole time. And though those are your best friends in those kinds of discourses. It's like, yes, yes, <laughs> be my smoke screen. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> we got a question here from OzJam. Recently in a series that I won't mention slash spoil, there's been talks about how the series has been feeling off beforehand, only now feeling like it's getting its groove back. Many fans speculated it may have been due to the editor at the time, who's been replaced, and that this editor is responsible for getting previous books canceled pretty early on, even with famous authors as well. So I ask, how much does an editor impact the stories written, and do you have to agree with them, even if the idea doesn't sound good to you? It depends on the editor. Because editors are people, too. They have just as much variation between them as writers and artists. You know, one editor's style is going to be very different from another's, and it's going to impact the books differently. Uh, case in point, we'll just focus on Sonic books, because we all know why we're here. Come on. But, like, Mike Pellerito was largely hands-off in terms of narrative, but very directing on where he wanted to see things focused on. Like his initiative early on was to clean up the continuity and make things more fast paced and more accessible to new readers. And that was the direction he gave me when I was creating my stories. But what those stories were, were largely up to me. Except for Scourge. That was pretty much his brainchild. But he, like, he said, we're going to introduce Scourge. Patrick Spaziante's already done this design. We want it to be a birthday-themed story. Here's the basic idea. You run with it. And I built off of that. But that was also like my first major professional story. So I was happy for the guidance. You know, Paul Kaminsky was more hands-on with narrative ideas, I think. But he was also open to discussion and debate. And, you know, we had a lot of back and forth on stuff. Uh, creatively, I think he was the most challenging, which in a good way. Like, I feel like a lot of hit the, what he brought to the table made me think of things in new and different ways. And that was a lot of fun. And sometimes uh, and he was also big on driving 
uh, event stuff to garner more interest and to try to support the other books to drive up numbers for Mega Man and Universe. And that's why we had the crossovers, uh, that one off uh, after credits scene gimmick was his. Uh, was that, that some other stuff that I can't think of? But, and he, you know, and also I should preface that editors are kind of the go between because they have to answer to people higher than them and they are in the licensed books the main go between with the licensor for the company so they work super hard and i do not envy their position because <laughs> they would have to you know talk to sega and then come back with me saying well here's sega's notes i'm like well I, 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 and they're like i already know i've been through this and uh vin lavello was super chill to work with very easy he was very very hands off for the most part kind of just like do your thing mm-hmm. and you know just i'll get involved when i think like i need to give direction but you do you yeah Vin was more involved with the design stuff that's true i didn't get to work with joe he was very long because david marriott was assistant editor under him when idw got started so i was already working with the both of them and joe left fairly early on into year one well not fairly early on i didn't get to work with him long but he was again super chill and cool to work with and uh i think it was his idea to do the issue a week for the first four which we all had a good laugh at and said no seriously that's what we're doing it's like okay here we go (laughs) and now it's co-edited by riley farmer and david marriott who are both super chill to work with and are again, largely hands off narratively. Um, when Evan and I are submitting stuff, they give feedback. Like we want to see something a little more in this theme. Cause we've already seen this already, or we want to bring a little more focus to this or yeah, in the case of tangle and whisper, they're super popular. Let's strike while the iron's hot here. Give us a mini series. And it's like, okay, <laughs> sure. Why not? So, but they are also very much, you know, don't get, yeah, uh, not getting into the narrative so much, letting us tell our stories and then providing some guidance for that. And I feel like that's the best that an editor does is they don't write the story. That's the writer's job. Yeah. But they, look at the bigger picture you know they take in the marketing into account they take they work with the licensor they look at the numbers and how things are doing they look at the fan feedback and how they're responding to the product and they filter all of that out and they provide direction to the writer saying okay what we have going right now is working really well do more of that or this isn't quite working let's adjust to focus in this direction or uh there's been a lot of demand for this can we cater to that desire does that fit with what you're going for and you know open that dialogue and figure out how you create from there very cool all right here's a question from arc fighter have there ever been any story pitches to explore the backstory of the babylon rogues more in depth I feel like the writer series revealing their descendants of aliens might make for an interesting story to follow up on. I don't think I have. Um, I don't know if anybody else has pitched in the past, 
just because the writer's backstory seems so weird, mm-hmm. I almost don't want to approach it. I want Sega to tell me what it is. It's like, this is, this is weird. Even for Sonic, where are you going with this? What's the greater thinking? Cause I don't immediately see it. Hmm. I, I have no clue. <laughs> I need to play more writers, I guess. I mean, the original Babylonians came from space. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then they crashed on earth and they are also genies. Cool. And now they're birds. All right, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like the genie bit is like some mislocalized something. I I don't know. It's, it's, don't a, know. it's it seems like a needless detail. <laughs> is a razor gin an alien bird? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first one almost felt like they were leaning a little more into the mysticism, and then went hard sci-fi at the very end, and then they leaned more into the hard sci-fi. In zero gravity, and then free riders is just there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> no, free riders <laughs> isn't there. You've left it out of the encyclopedia completely. Womp womp. <laughs> oh well, it's about all it deserves. <laughs> we got a question here from Andrew D. Ian, you had already said that you weren't sure what the designation of the Mechasonic from Sonic Two Eight Bit was. So maybe you don't know the answer to this, but is it even considered a Mechasonic? I think you had once stated your headcanon was that it was that it was Mark Zero, but it sounds like that is not official. Since it has a weird design with one arm coming from within its abdominal area, is it the exact same model as the one used in Sonic Mania but redesigned, or are they two different models? I really do need to just sit down and crack open the encyclopedia and see what I wrote there. <laughs> I would... I would like to think that it's part of the mecha line just for simplicity's sake. I don't want there to be multiple different robot lines because it's just needlessly complicated. So to say it's like a prototype or an early model mecha Sonic is fine. Makes sense to me. I don't think it was supposed to have a arm coming out of its gut. I think that was just the limitations of the old Game Gear sprite. It, I think it just had like one little spindly arm, maybe but the one in mania, maybe it was supposed to be coming out of its back and it was supposed to be a big beefy arm, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all the consummate V's on the back of its head. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, as far as I'm aware, it's supposed to be the same model that shows up in mania. Alrighty. And we got a question here from Alphamon or you can, in the editor commentary of Sonic universe issue 46, it was stated that Bo Sparrow Looked like a dashing rogue of sorts. Was this meant to imply that Bogue was a member of the Babylon Rogues at some point before joining the Mercerian Freedom Fighters? I don't remember, but I that sounds familiar. On the one hand, I'm like, did every single bird have to be a rogue at some point? But I was also leaning hard into that idea that there was a split between the Battlebirds and various factions of rogues. So I that fit rob from the rich and give to the poor. So yeah, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I once, once I sit down to do lost hedgehog tales, I'll be digging through old notes. Maybe I'll find that to confirm. I th- thought it, I thought it was just the old, the saying, you know, describing someone as a dashing rogue. I didn't, think I mean, yeah, that was, fits too. It works both ways. I didn't think but... it was like, referring specifically to something, but okay. Unless that was like specifically, capitalized rogue was capitalized like it was hinting at something 
versus I, everything I else, but I don't know. Itself. I don't know. Weird. Oh, well. We got one last question on this episode, and it comes to us courtesy of Chaos Shadow. Sonic Friends decided that they're putting on a musical. Who would be the director and who would be performing in the play? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sally would be the director. Yeah. Yeah. Because Tails is going to be doing all the tech crew stuff. And I mean, literally all the tech crew stuff. Yes, all by himself. He's going to be the one up in the up in the rafters, may pulling the strings. <laughs> Not because nobody else is offering to do it. It's just it all sounds like fun to him. Yes. <laughs> uh Amy's on the stage. She's loving it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Knuckles is somehow talked into it, and it looks like he's going to be a problem. Because, like, every time they rehearse, he's like, all right, line, line. Poor Knuckles can't remember his lines. But then, you know, opening night comes and he nails it just, like, perfectly. Mm-hmm. Makes it look effortless. The mm-hmm. jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm into it. Uh, Sonic's rather surprised that he's just kind of cast as an extra. He thought he did well in the audition, but mm-hmm. all right, sure. He'll have fun with it. Whatever. <laughs> He'll be an understudy for Knuckles, you know, when he forgets his line. You know, I know he's dead, but it would feel like, and he's not one of their friends, but I feel like it would be a shame if Starline were not there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Starline, he would put it aside just to be there. Yeah. No Machiavellian plot, no setup to take anyone out. You know, he's wanted to do this for years. <laughs> and he spends most of the rehearsal time arguing with Sally over the directorial decisions. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> the most obnoxious type of method actor. Ugh. As long as he doesn't go to his private island and start a cult or anything, I think we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Chaotix would be involved. Vector's just good enough that he's not terrible. Espy is a bit wooden. <laughs> Charmy at least hits his points. They they, they don't have him act too much. <laughs> yes. I like that. Uh, you know, the rogues are involved as well, because they're on my mind. Why not? Storm can remember his lines. Delivering them with any kind of conviction is asking a bit much, but he at least, you know, gets his cues right. Jet throws himself into it entirely because he actually won the audition over Sonic and he's going to make sure he sees him <laughs> perform. Yeah. Rears is into it. She's she's having fun. Silver is big into it. He's super oh. into it. The whole, <laughs> whole process is just magical to him. And Wave, it's just... Waves running backstage stuff to put her on stage. No, thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> whisper backstage too. Yeah. Wh- you would the... not. Well, whisper's watching. You know, she's there oh, to okay. support her friends. Okay. Tang- Tangles in the show, obviously. Oh, absolutely not. She is terrified of the stage. Oh, <laughs> okay. Never mind. <laughs> like, and everyone just gives her this look like, really? You. You've never met a stranger. Your volume is permanently set at 11. You live for danger and adventure. And you get stage fright? (laughs) I'm surprised by this, too. (laughs) Like, she didn't even realize it. She goes up on stage, and she's like, Hi there, I'm Tangle, and I'm 
and the co- tail just slowly coils around her until she's vanished, and then she kind of falls over and rolls off stage. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she's in the audience. She's there to you know support everybody for sure. But meanwhile, uh, Antoine is up there, and he is just way into it, of course. Oh, sure. <laughs> Honey's the costume designer, <laughs> of course. Uh-huh. I am preparing this entire Hamlet soliloquy, and you're telling me that we are doing Cat on the Hot Tin Roof? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Big's like, I'm the cat. (laughs) (laughs) Antoine, Antoine, I see very much being an actor. Of course, of course. And he and Starline are just trying to outact each other. <laughs> Who can chew They're the most scenery? So hard. And then Antoine eventually starts actually chewing the scenery for real. <laughs> and they are bitter rivals through the entire production, but then they're the best of friends by the end. We were marvelous, weren't we? Oh, we 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 were <laughs> the bestest. <laughs> Man, this is amazing. I I hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What is this show? I don't know. It doesn't matter what the show is. <laughs> and they barely avoid disaster because Styx is just bamboozled. How did all these lookalikes replace all her friends? I mean, they look like everyone she knows, but they're acting completely differently. Where are her original friends? Who are these doppelgangers? Why are they consigned just to the stage? <laughs> are you saying Styx doesn't understand how stage works? Yeah, I guess that's about right. <laughs> uh, what's Belle doing? Uh, she's helping out with Tails. Uh, he wants to run everything, but he can't. So she's doing gaff work and that kind of stuff. And Wave is with him. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> we don't know what Sonic's doing though. So he just kind of he's a back. He's a background extra. Oh, and he's, <laughs> he's just waiting for you know somebody to have to step out so he can step up that's right but everybody's doing just fine so okay he's i figured he'd be playing his best he'd be playing the tree (laughs) 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 and then the tree guy from sonic boom (laughs) is back there also playing a tree uh rotor is helping tails because that's also what he does rotor decided he's gonna go help in concessions yeah help Okay. In sessions. <laughs> yum, yum. He's not particularly happy that he has to answer to Dave, but, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's good enough. Nicole's doing the technical stuff. Nicole's running the the lights in the audio and the audio and everything. And Cream is in the play. She's adorable. <laughs> Omega does all the explosion effects. <laughs> <laughs> Because, of course, you got to have those. Those are important. I'm not remembering the war scene in Ketanahatin Roof. <laughs> I do not remember asking your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then Eggman is up in the uh, the cheap seats heckling them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> heckling all of them. He uses Press Garden just to publish a paper to lampoon the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, yep, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I like this. <laughs> Sounds like a very fun one-off thing. Uh, 
We got any got any more bunnies doing something? I don't know. Maybe she's in the show too. Maybe. Or she's in the audience as well. She's not really a stage actress, but she's there to support, maybe. Or maybe well, no, Durr. She's the stylist. Oh yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, she does that. She does some backstage work, yeah. With honey. I like it. Now, before you tempt me to actually write a script for this, we're going to call it quits. Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> and give a big thank you to everyone who makes this show possible through their contributions at patreon.com slash bumblecast, ko-fi.com slash bumblecast, and our YouTube members. Big thank you to Daniel H., Alex P., James K., John B., Jennifer R., Robotnik Holmes, Samuel P., Sam Cybercat, Mike B., Dave M., Coupling Crew 128, Duiz Dizden, Jay Frost, Salute Your Cat, Andrew D., Hero of Light 13, Scruffy Matt, Ryan D., Chris A., Sonny, John M., Noni, Jib, Don B., Yami M., Lee H. K., Lisa M., Fiona M., Chevelle, Invade Turbo, Tunis, Ben W., Blue Title Gamer, Keeper of Monsters, Tick Tick, Access, Sandra the Painter, Final Neil, Scurvy Pirate Hog, Jonathan Ink Pants is missing his actual pick. The name is X. Justin S. Solaris Stain, Nimrick, Godzilla, Dabbler, the Dalek, Chaos Universe, Sonic Legacy, Daniel B., Ava Arctic, Pedantic Cat, Dove, Red the Supernamic, Arc Fighter, Quaggle Gaggle, Chad, Nondal, Professor Rye, Jack the Animator, Cameron H., Liz, Sapphire Scarletta, Alphamon or Yukin, Joshua S., Omega Watt. Preston M, Noah S, Finest Cacophony, Alex GS, Kojiro Highwind, Supersonic Fan, Awesome Cakester, Radry, Jolene B, Chase L, Dapper Shinks, Just a Mountain Soul, Callum Q, Red Wolf, Ty H, Starlight Sec, and Tails, Maddie H, KJB, John the Real Waluigi, Derusival, N Zephyr, Mox, The Marble Gardener, Owen BD, Lemur Chicken, Cosmic Cooking Hunter 77, Wild 48, T Ranger, King Toasty, Miles the Prower, Navare, Exodel, Agent Kaz, Four Sonic Fan, Lewis J, Michael P, Rhythm Raccoon, Fenris Asger, Pap, Delta God 77, Miggy Sawdust, Pignan 20, Ty Cyan, Jamal S, Oz Jam, Shimmy M, Angela V, Lacey M, Unlikely Veronica, Phi, Timon B, Thievius, Smiley 21, The Flower Garden, Sammy S, The Seer, Warns of a Deadly Fate, Bowser Studios, Tetsu Knife, Fang the Werehog, Crowbo, Sonic Mania 2099, Thigoff, Slumps, Hadron Kaleido, Nils, Chaos Sonic 1, Sky the Desu, Supernova, Indebend, The Disgaean, Superior Pizza, Charlie B, Chaos Shadow, Sonic PAG, The Cartoonist, Speedweed, Mobius, Celestial Sapien 73, Butter Noodles, Frost the White Lion, Dandy the Light, Ryoko Shion, Zoom, Phelps G, Meta Mode, and Wheels 282 Hedgehog. Thank you all for your incredible support and uh, for making that list ever growing. It continues to expand every week and uh, it's kind of insane so thank you it's gonna wrap us up for tonight we will see you friday for a standard q a episode of the bumblecast until then be good to yourselves be good to each other and we will see you next time see you later (laughs) (laughs) show up just when i'm gonna record oh no problems cat yeah yeah you gonna talk is that coming through at all yeah is that Midna? Yeah. Yeah. It's Can always Midna. <laughs> Midna, when I'm recording in this room, if I'm on the couch, it's Tenebrae who will climb up and oh, okay. headbutt my face mid-sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're cute. Come sounds, over here. Sounds more like a Navi than a Midna, apparently, according to Happy Times. Come over here. Hey, listen, Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is fairly accurate. (laughs) (laughs) She's a little troll, though. A little gremlin. Just like the real Midna. 
Except, you know, she's the real Midna, but you know. You gonna be a problem or you gonna settle down? <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> You've been listening to the Bumblecast, a co-production of Bumble King Comics and the KNGI Network. Original theme music composed by Ken Coda Snyder. Remixed intro by T Lopes. Find out more information along with podcast feeder links, MP3 downloads, and more at bumbleking.com and kngi.org. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeVille. Ha, <laughs>